PublisherofCapsCorner.com. Coming to you live from the Blazer Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is Tuesday, February the 27th. Cavaliers have two more games left in their 2017-2018 regular season. Um, they will play at Louisville on Thursday. They got Notre Dame, a revamped, uh, remastered Notre Dame on Saturday afternoon for Senior Day. So we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. We'll also talk about um, our picks for the All-ACC team, which I have to vote for, I guess, by Sunday at 4, I believe. So we'll talk a little bit about that and maybe even get into some of the um, nonsense with the uh, FBI investigation and all that fun stuff that's happened in the last few days. Um, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. Um, up in Arlington, Justin Ferber is all is on the show. How you doing? I'm all on the show, Brad. You know, hey, let's stop. Don't you have to point out every mistake I make? You know, jeez. Tell yeah. give the people your Twitter handle at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. I see. I wanted to do that because that was having, bad. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, no. I'm. We're not. We're still rolling with it. We're not cutting this. Okay. We're. We're. This is happening. Okay. I'm going to explain that we had some technical issues and i was going to ferber on purpose first rather than dave first which is what i normally do because i wanted to make sure his worked okay okay also with us tonight up in fishersville david spence is on the show how are you my friend doing just great brad thanks for asking who dave's on the board at who dave's on twitter and Cavs corner also on twitter Cavs underscore corner great place for in-game updates content items and the occasional witty banter um so let's uh let's talk about maybe where the cavaliers are right now number one in the country um number one in your hearts um obviously with an opportunity thursday saturday to do some you know really special things considering uh duke lost last night which leaves the 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 blue devils i believe if my memory serves they are uh 12 and 5 in the league which would mean theoretically virginia could win out and win the win the league by four um which has not been done uh, anytime recently, um, how as as the Cavaliers get ready for Thursday night, uh, Ferber, we'll start with you. How do you kind of feel about um, about that matchup in, in Louisville, and and what's your 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 gut telling you about the way that the regular season is going to play out for them? Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting test because uh, the last time they played, you know, back in Charlottesville. Um, yeah, I mean, it was one of those games that it felt like UVA was in control early, and then Louisville did some good things on the offensive end and kind of made it a game. And, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how many points they ended up with off the top of my head, but I want to say they broke 70, which is obviously pretty rare for UVA opponents. Um, that They made that game competitive and, and made a lot of baskets in the second half. Um, I remember coming away from that game pretty impressed with uh, the way Padgett ran his offense, and how he uh, scouted UVA, um, their defense, and uh, definitely gave them some trouble um, after UVA was coming off that road win at Duke. But obviously, I mean, get, getting them on the road, it's not going to be any easier. Uh, they're coming off a big win at Virginia Tech. Um, they're still, I mean, th they look like they're in position to make the tournament, but every win is helpful at this point. So uh, they'll be looking to cement their resume with a win over Virginia. Uh, and then they go to NC State to end the regular season. So uh, as far as the matchups go, I think it's an interesting one. Uh, they obviously have a lot of length on the wing. It's something that we brought up when they played last time uh, with Spalding and King uh, and Ding Adele. Those guys can get to the basket and uh, have the athleticism to finish around the rim. They're also not going to be physically outmatched by UVA's guards, so uh, that's something to watch. Uh, as well and, and and they're able to create their own shots off the dribble as well as Snyder and then obviously you have Mahmoud in the in the middle and and he's the kind of guy that can give you trouble um UVA did a pretty good job with him last time so uh I think it'll be a close game uh I don't really have a leaning either way at this point uh I'll go with Virginia because you know it, unless we see something else it's kind of tough to pick against them most of the time um considering how they played to this point so I'll go with UVA in a really close game, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they lost. What about you, Dave? How do you feel about let, let's let's turn the page to Notre Dame? They they're going to get Bonzi Colson back. Um, the question is, I guess, at least in terms of the Virginia game, is going to be how much does he actually play? How much is he able to contribute? Um, does the self spook um, inside you get you worried about about that game at all? Or what's what's your general sense of of the Irish coming to town? I mean, I don't know if it's self-spook is a word. I mean, four-game lead in the ACC with two to go is a good thing, good problem to have. Um, look, they get Bonzi back for tomorrow night against Pitt, so essentially he gets like a scrimmage. You know, it's, it's a really good time to bring him back. You know, he'll be able to get his confidence up. 
Um, so I, I'm a little unsure what to expect from them. Um, I mean, you know, Farrell's been playing really well, but they're still banged up as a team. And it's just, I think a lot of what happens in that game has to do with UVA's motivation more than Notre Dame's ability. You know, it is is Tony willing to, you know, do what it takes to win that game with everything kind of locked up? I mean, it's senior day, so he, I'm sure he wants to send out, you know, uh, Isaiah and, and Devin with a big win. Um, but, you I mean, it's, I think that's going to be a good game. I think the next two games will be probably a couple of the most competitive games we've seen in a while. Um, Louisville, just because of the matchup and their talent, and, you know, it. who knows what, what's happening with Louisville moving forward. Um, and I'm sure they're tired of hearing about losing to Virginia all the time. And then Notre Dame's going to be, you know, assuming they beat Pittsburgh tomorrow night. You know, that's not a big assumption. Um, you know, they're going to be playing for non and non in the conference, which gives them an outside shot to get in the dance, um, considering how what breaks in other tournaments and how the committee looks on the Colson coming back and what they are then. So, I mean, I, I expect it to be a good game. I expect Virginia to win both, but I think they're going to be close. I feel like Louisville's in. Um, the Virginia Tech win looks a lot better now than it did, you know, now that Tech has knocked off Duke. Um, I, I know we just kind of um, went through some of the our thoughts on in terms of like where we, th- which teams we thought were, were going to get through. As it stands today, I still think Virginia, Duke, Carolina, Clemson, NC State, Tech, and I'll say Louisville. Um, I, I'd say that Miami, Florida State, um, and then obviously if, if Notre Dame gets crazy hot, um, the only way the league gets more in is if Miami or Florida State can can put some scraps together. Uh, Miami has a shot tonight starting at 9, so a game that just tipped off as we record uh, against Carolina. Uh, Florida State gets a shot at Clemson tomorrow night, so that would be you know two big opportunities for those two teams to put themselves uh, you know more on the bubble. I, I don't know how realistic that is, but um, realistically, I, I think both Louisville – uh, and Virginia Tech are in. Um, I, I think their their resumes at this point, outside of some craziness happening elsewhere. But um, I, it, I don't. I guess I'm not really worried about Virginia's motivation Saturday, simply because it is a home game. Um, it is Senior Day. Um, there's a lot of emotion that goes into that. I, I don't know that Tony. Tony's one of the most competitive people you're ever going to meet. Which is why I, when I see these folks who are thinking like, well, the NBA game has changed and now it's about mega teams, uh, or you know, or uh, Tony's not going to want to deal with egos or whatever. He's one of the most competitive people you are ever going to like come across in this world. If that's the upper echelon of talent and, and where the game is 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 seen by pros as the place to be, he's probably going to want to be there. So I would never write off that temptation. Um, and I think that applies to Saturday because I just honestly like I think he's going to want to try to win the game. I don't think he's going to get in there and go like, well, you know, we're going to keep resting these dudes. I, I don't think he's he's of that mindset. I think he's gonna he's gonna push. Um, now he might make some substitutions early in a game that maybe if he was trying to win it for a championship, it would be a little bit different. But I mean, second half, I don't think you're going to see him treated any differently. My my question for UVA is going to be. Uh, how much does Kyle Guy play, and can you get him going? Because realistically, to me, that's their one pre-postseason uh, concern, which is in his last you know handful of games, he just hasn't played very well. Um, he what did he do? What was he the other night uh, at Pittsburgh? I mean, he played. You know, he only played like um, what a handful of minutes, nineteen. Um, yeah. Scored three points. Um, he's he's made. He was he was one of three from three. It's two of four against Georgia Tech. Two of five of against Florida. Obviously, uh, Florida State. Excuse me, Miami. Wow. Uh, three of fourteen against Tech in that. Uh, other, and he was three of ten against Florida State. So I mean, and he's not shot it very well compared to you know how many attempts. Yeah, and in the game before that, he's four of eleven from three. So I mean, the last like six games, he hasn't. He just hasn't been there. And if you even look at some of the games in January, two of four, two of nine, two of six. Um, it's been a while since he had a, a, you know, a really good game where he had, um, you know, I mean, I know against Louisville, he scored 22. Largely that was the stuff, you know, inside the three point arc, but Virginia needs him to hit shots. You know, um, what's your, if you had to pick out one concern for this team forever, what would be your one concern, um, before, you know, before the ACC tournament starts? Yeah. I mean, it's tough coming off the pit game. I mean, that game was basically just a wash, but, um, 
it, it seems like sometimes, and I don't, I don't think it's necessarily like a complacency, but teams seem to be able to get open looks at times from three, and, and it just comes down to whether or not they're going to knock them down. I mean, you saw in that Virginia Tech game, you know, they were able to knock those down. Um, and some of those were contested, so, I mean, that's not a huge deal. But the Georgia Tech game, I mean, a big pr- reason that they were in the game as long as they were is just they had a bevy of, of open shots or, or semi-open shots that they were able to knock down. So um, some we've talked about this before, but sometimes when other teams make those shots, it kind of seems to transition to the other end of the floor. And, uh, you know, they're just not as sharp on the offensive end after a made basket. And I think sometimes that might have to do with, you know, the, the defense that they're playing against can, can get out and, um, you know, pressure them three-quarter court or full court or whatever they want to do which keeps UVA a little bit out of their rhythm, uh, keeps them from getting all the way into their sets, you know, as they normally would. So um, just the transition between, like, you know, oh, they left the guy open for a three and then going back to the other end of the floor. Um, but I think, honestly, the concerns I have aren't really big concerns. It's just, you know, that's any, you know, games are going to be close from here on out. So um, obviously any issue you might have could be magnified against better teams. Right. Ferber, before, before I move over to Dave, can you tell me, for UVA's purposes, does it matter who wins between Carolina and Miami? It's great that you asked me that, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, well, I like to one, set the, you up. The people, the people who, I'm sure the people who are listening to this are going to really want to hear what's about to happen in this Miami game that already happened. Um, no, uh, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, obviously, Miami's seed is up in the air so they could end up on UVA's side of the bracket if they win or lose or whatever but a lot of that still has to shake out um if Carolina wins that would put them at 12 and 5 I believe so um it would kind of make it so whoever wins the Carolina Duke game is guaranteed second place um which is pretty much the case anyway but you know the, the loser is gonna go to six losses so I mean then then there's all kinds of weird tiebreakers but for this game, it probably doesn't matter that much compared to some of the other games that are coming up. But uh, obviously, if, if North Carolina wins, then, then they're in a position to make it a kind of winner-take-second-place game against Duke on Saturday. Cool. All right, Dave, now that, now that we've handled that, what um, what are, what's your concern for this team going into the postseason? Uh, I'm worried that Todd Jerome doesn't have confidence to take a big shot when needed. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're funny. Oh, yeah. I'm worried that Kyle's going to get trigger trigger shy. No, I mean, probably less worries with this team than than many in the past few years. I mean, this team kind of is what it is. Like, they're, they're a team that, you know, kind of lives by the jump shot, but also kind of doesn't. Like, you know, they, they've shown the ability to, to drive when needed to, when they need to. Um, it's just a, a really. You know, other than a dominant post presence, it's a really complete team. Um, the defense, you know, Justin kind of brought up the open shots, and they do. They seem to have a little, like, lapses overall, but then they'll lock in for, like, 30 minutes and you don't get another good shot. Um, so it's just, I mean, I, honestly, I mean, Kyle's, uh, Kyle's back, and, um, you know, that would be my biggest concern for this team. I, I, I'm pretty – look, I, I'm not ready to anoint them like a Final Four lock or anything um if they play their game you know i think they have a really good shot but you know if they if they get really cold from three they could lose in the first weekend too it just that's what that's what happens in this game when you when you don't have a you know anthony gill type low post score so um well and uh, even less worried than normal if that makes sense even ag he had games where you know oh yeah he did disappear for a while but i i I feel like that it was pretty impeccable timing honestly for them to start to feed the post i mean since that Virginia Tech game, they have made an effort to get down low. And I think even just paint touches, even if you're not scoring points yeah. in the paint, paint touches matter. The ball movement, that's been the difference for me in this offense is yeah, when think, the ball moves, everything is good. Yeah, I think one of the things gotten lost in, in Dre's remarkable play over the ACC season is Mamadi has like slowed down a little bit on offense and made some plays. Um, he's still kind of crazy on defense, depending on the game. Um his he's streaky with his, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he's streaky with his his mistakes and his over eagerness, kind of like Jack is with his hands. Mm-hmm. You know, if if Mamadi comes in and has a good defensive play early, he tends to play well the game. 
if he if he comes in and makes a mistake, he tends to overreact, trying not to make it, and gets another one. So, um, but I, I think he can be key, especially. I mean, he doesn't have to put up ten or fifteen a game. If he can get you two or three really good post moves in it during the course of a game, and Jack gets you his normal one to two, and then we see a little bit more of Isaiah touching, then that's enough. Um, you just got to threaten it because you got plenty of guys around the three point line. And honestly, depending on where they're uh, where they're spacing, what their spacing's like, and where they catch, I mean, realistically, they can they can do a lot. Um, you don't have to be Marvin Bagley or Wendell Carter to to really impact the game. Really, what you need is Virginia just can't have empty trips, and that's part of the problem um, with not having a post score is that um, they have they have these trips that are just empty jump shots. They need that that variety is what I think helps them out a, a lot. Uh, last question on Virginia Ferber goes to you. Um, as as the Cavaliers move forward, um, what do you see as um, maybe the 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 bad matchup for them in the postseason? What it, it, does that team look like Virginia Tech in terms of athleticism and three you know a variety of three point shooters who can also um, you know do that you know be aggressive defensively? Like what's your what's your worst case scenario for Virginia in terms of a matchup in the tournament? Yeah, I think it's something like that. Um, obviously, we saw West Virginia beat them by kind of forcing some turnovers and speeding the game up a little bit. Obviously, you know, it wasn't the fastest game in college basketball this year, but there were times where UVA seemed a little out of sorts. And Virginia Tech's offense was, um, you know, they obviously they got really hot in that game. And, and besides that, they're just kind of a tougher matchup sometimes. I think big physical guards that can shoot and get to the rim and then any kind of defense that can force UVA into more mistakes than they normally make, um, I think can can be a problem. Um, I'm also interested to see uh, what kind of like if UVA plays Duke in Brooklyn. I'm interested to see that game because I want to see how they do against the zone. Um, I think they'll be fine, but it's you know it's it's not the offense that you normally run. And I think Brad, you brought that up a couple weeks ago when we were talking about DeAndre Hunter excelling in the zone. Just you know, your zone offense isn't your standard offense. It's your it's your backup plan basically. And um, UVA has done okay against the zone this year, but it'll be interesting to see how that affects the team after playing the blocker mover so many games, and then all of a sudden having to switch to zone. I think it's a good thing that they've experienced a lot of defenses that play zone this year throughout the ACC season, as teams have tried to figure out how to slow UVA's offense down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that'll be an interesting matchup as well. But Honestly, the teams that scare me the most from a, you know, who could UVA run into in the tournament are the teams with really talented players that, you know, maybe they underachieved a little bit, but they have the capability of, you know, having a big game and, and you know, they, they have the talent to play a game over their heads um, and, and potentially win. The, the one thing I would worry about um, in terms of the tournament is going up against a team that has a dominant three who has um, has some length to him. Devin is is really good at at getting in front of people and making their t- their shots tough. He's not as good at maybe shutting people's water off. Now, there's no doubt like um, that this team when you watch them play defense, I mean there's a reason why that defense is so uh, ridiculous. And I I firmly believe is that they have this, you know, sort of undeniable connection, right? Like the guys simply move together. Um, that doesn't mean they're not infallible. I mean, they're not infallible. I mean, they're going to give up a shot here or there. But I, I, I could see a team with a with a really long three who could create off the bounce, giving them some problems. Kind of like what Syracuse can do to them. Syracuse can space the floor, and they have multiple guys that they can sort of, um, you know, switch. Depending on ball screens and 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 who is on who, they can sort of get a matchup they like and then drive. Um, if that's if they run up against a team that has some pieces like that, I could see them. Um, I could see them struggling. But at the same time. You know the pack line's not going to give up so much. I mean, it, really, it's going to come down to what defenses Virginia faces and and what their offense is like. Um, all right, let's uh, let's transition over to all ACC. Um, I want to start from a place of conversation, um, which includes using Kim Palm's basis for his all Kim Palm ACC team, and then I don't want to say necessarily voting people off the island, but I kind of want to vote people off the island. Um, so right now, and, and again, this data will change as the um, as tonight's game is played and everything. But right now, Kim Palm has Marvin Bagley the third, Luke May, Wendell Carter, Kyle Guy, and Devin Hall on his first team All ACC. Dave, we'll start with you. Give me one person on that list that shouldn't be on there and replace them for me. 
<sighs> I got to get Jerome Robinson on there, so I'll know who I'm replacing. Um, I almost feel like one of the Duke bigs, and I, I'm almost more apt to take off Bagley. Um, not because he's not really, really, really good. Just, uh, I think he missed too much time for me, man. But who do you else do you take off? I mean, if you're going to force me, I think Jerome Robinson deserves to be first team all ACC, personally. Um, yeah, I mean, probably I'm an idiot, but I'll take off Bagley. Well, I, I don't. No one else will, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree. The, my problem with taking Bagley off is he only missed four games. Okay, so it's not like he missed half the season and he didn't. He wasn't Bonzi Colson this year. Yeah, but and Luke May is going to get like a career awards. That's you know, well, whatever. But but Bagley Bagley's games before that were pretty impressive. I mean, he's putting up, you know, uh, his the game before he he went out, he had a double double against Carolina. Right, he had fifteen and eleven. Um, he had nineteen and uh, nineteen and um, excuse me, uh, he had fifteen. And 16, sorry. Um, stupid Kim Palm with his splitting the offensive and defensive rebounds. Um, I mean, he's still I mean, he's still putting up points. My problem with Bagley in general is that he's such a liability defensively, which is so weird. You'd think a kid who was six foot eleven, two thirty, who had that much athleticism would be a lot more engaged on that end. And I'm not gonna start, you know, knocking the kid like like what's his name did last night, whose name I I don't want to speak because he'll somehow manage to search you and find you. Um but like, he is so disengaged on that end of the floor, and if and when if if and when he is like they they become a different team. But um, I would be inclined to to remove uh, to remove Bagley only if uh, if he had missed more games. I, I can't four games is just not enough for me. Um, so I, I I'm gonna have to jettison Luke May. Um, I maybe it's just because the games I've seen him he hasn't played as well. I realize he's had a handful of of really nice games this season. Um, I realize that 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 Carolina has been on a tear, um, but I would take off. I agree. Just Jerome Robinson belongs on that team, um, so I would take off Luke May. What about you, Ferber? What's your what's your your if you had to vote one of these five off the island? Who would you yeah, take um, off and why? Um, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't take off. See, the the thing is, so you guys are swapping out Bagley for Robinson. I always do it, and I think the ACC does it. I could be wrong as a lineup. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so you can't do that. Um, but I might be mixing that up with the NBA All-Star teams or something. I don't know. Um, so I would go Bagley-Carter. I think I would have them both. They both deserve to be there. May, and then I would probably have Devin Hall, and then I would take Kyle Guy off, and I would either replace him with Jerome Robinson or Joel Berry. Um, probably Robinson. Uh, Berry, I mean... You know, I think Carolina has flown a little bit under the radar after they kind of started off rough in ACC play, but I'm looking at his stats now. The dude has scored less than double figures once, six points against NC State in a loss, and has not scored less than 13, 12 points in any other game, and that was a 30-point win over Pitt. So, yeah, I think he deserves to be at least second team, but you can make a strong case for for first team, as you know, he's had no less than besides that pit game. I mean, he scored twenty points, one, two, three, four, five, six times, um, made a bunch of big shots, played a ton of minutes, and I think Kyle Guy. I mean, let's be honest, he's had a really good season. Um, I think a lot of voters will rep. You know, he'll be UVA's kind of representative on the first team. I wouldn't be surprised, but I think Devin has had the biggest, you know, positive impact on this team. He's a uh, he's coming out big in a lot of different ways and he would be my vote over Kyle for first team and I'd have Kyle on my second team especially considering uh, how Kyle's kind of dropped off a little bit uh you know over the last few weeks real time hey, I'm gonna have to admit something pause. I didn't hear Kyle guy in that list uh, <laughs> <laughs> well that's your fault real time follow-up um so I just clicked the ballot and you actually it is regardless of position so you pick you pick your first player on your on your first team your second player third fourth fifth and then you play your first player on your second team, and then second, third, fourth, fifth, and then third team, first, second, fourth, third, fourth, fifth, and then you pick um, all defensive team, and then you give your um, your your player of the year, coach of the year, rookie of the year, six man of the year. So it actually is regardless of position. So we could put. And I think yeah, my lineup right. would be the same. I think my lineup would be yeah. exactly what I just said. So Dave, like, are you I saying you would you would vote Kyle? Off I would admit, like 
I thought you said, like, honestly, I, I don't have the Kim Pom thing in front of me. I thought you said Joel Berry. I was just assuming he was on this first team. No, no. Like, I would have Berry. Like, I, I think Berry's a first teamer. And wow. I was trying to get Jerome in there. I don't. I like Berry's game a lot, man. Like, every time we play him, like, he, he, he's just. He's got Without like a Berry, what's that Carolina him? team, man? Yeah. Yeah. Because Luke May is really good, but Luke May is good because Joel Berry is motivating that whole squad. So, I like him a lot. Um, I think Berry just has yeah. this, like, I would take off Kyle for Jerome. Uh, yeah, so so I'm not too much of a homer. I'll leave Bagley on there and pull off, pull off Kyle. Um, real time follow up as well. So Kim Pom also does his National Player of the Year, his Kim Pom, f- you know, team. And right now Luke May is actually sixth nationally on his on his team. Um, and we we we're talking about he might not be on the All ACC first team. So maybe he does need to stay. I, you know, it's funny. I I I've, since there was all that conversation about uh, Coach of the Year and whether or not uh, Keats was going to have a chance to basically steal the steal that award away from Tony. And he – it was funny because I thought <clears throat> there's totally a scenario, right, where Virginia doesn't get anybody on the first team, finishes with like this crazy record, and then also doesn't win Coach of the Year. I feel like one of the guys is going to get it, and if so, Kyle is really the only one who has the numbers for it. Um, so I feel like you got to keep him on. Um, I will be interested to see where the voting goes. Um on this weekend, uh, we have to submit our votes um, by Sunday at f- 8 a.m. I'll snap. I got to get that done. Um, all right. Last portion of the podcast, I want to transition over to the FBI investigation. So I, like many of you intrepid folks out there who listen to the show, woke up Friday morning not having any idea that Malcolm Brogdon's mama was going to be in some stuff. But there I was later in the morning having to figure out you know, whether or not a $64 and 16 cent uh, meal at the Ritz Carlton was enough for two people. Um, I was really surprised at a, at a number of things that, that has come out that have come out since then in the way that people have treated the various um, aspects of all of this. The first for me was how, how easy some people were to jump to saying things in absolutes in headlines or tweets that just were not true. Like, categorically not true for example the use of uh of malcolm uh one one specific example which particularly riled me up was um was a mention of malcolm as if not just that he had that he had uh that he had been in um the thing but that like he was one of like the cornerstones of this of the way that this whole thing sort of played out um and the, the verbiage that was used was former UVA star Malcolm Brogdon was named in the federal documents acquired by Yahoo in relation to players meeting with ASM sports agent associate Christian Dawkins. Like, that sounds real bad. But that's not the truth. Not Malcolm Brogdon was not named. Nowhere in these documents did Malcolm Brogdon's name show up other than to say in reference to somebody else. So, like, you can't, you can't link somebody to a federal investigation based on the fact that like there was somebody's expense report you don't have any other like secondary source that vouches for anything it's literally just the the person's name and then it was literally it was his mom so like the way that this was approached by a number of people really really grinded my gears and and honestly showed really really poor uh poor, poor journalistic integrity honestly like it's one thing to say um, Brad Franklin knocked over 7-Eleven, right? It's another thing to say Brad Franklin's been implicated in a thing, in a, in a knocking over of 7-Eleven when Brad Franklin was, like, not related to it at all. Like, right, because, you know, my mom went to 7-Eleven, so therefore I'm guilty of knocking over 7-Eleven. Like, when, when it comes to charges, when it comes to investigations, like, facts matter. Even more so now because nobody reads the story. Like, People see the the post, they see the headline, that's it. And I know that because a lot of these folks, and I'm not, I promise I'm not going to go on a rant here, but a lot of these folks, they do this intentionally. They do this intentionally because they know that 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 the verbiage that they used to make it sound the most heinous or the most sensational or the most, oh my goodness, the most outlandish, it, that's the thing that moves. Like that's the thing that gets people's eyeballs. And I'm really sad for, for my profession, honestly, that there are so many people that are like so like all about the the hype and like hey can what about context like where where did context fall off the table so 
abruptly. And then to see in the, the response to Sean Miller and whether or not he did or did not try to arrange for $100,000 for DeAndre Ayton, I mean, the, the reaction to that, even by folks trying to ridicule the press, I'm like, wait a minute. The, the story ran and then it was approached that way. It was approached as if it was a bombshell. But did anybody really expect the federal investigators were going to show up on ESPN News that afternoon and hit play? And then you were going to be able to go to like ESPN.com and download an MP3 of Sean Miller. At, no, it's an active investigation. This is what happens. Leaks get, leaks get out there for whatever reason. Maybe um, somebody on the defense of, of another case leaked it to, to the press. Like, oh, yeah, but by the way, this guy's involved, too. But, like, the investigators aren't going to come out and tell you what they have. They're still trying to put together their case. And if nothing else, the fact that, the, that, that anybody expected that just shows you how, like, warped we are as, like, a, as like a, a bunch of people who, ex, like, who, 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 like, consume this information. Like, we not only, we, we suck at being able to deliver it to people, and, and the people who are getting it, they suck at being able to, to receive it. And I'm like, well, basically, we're all just screwed. Like the, like, the entire thing is broken, and it frustrates me to no end, which is why I had to go on that little rant. So what do you guys think about this entire situation? Ferber, we'll start with you. What, what are your reactions to it in general, and, and, and what are your expectations for this thing going forward? <laughs> you know, it's funny. is uh, It's such a you know, sprawling thing that, you know, obviously, before we started the show, you said, you know, we kind of ran down the topics that we wanted to discuss today. And you mentioned the FBI stuff. And I didn't even remember that Malcolm Brogdon was like in it. <laughs> like, I didn't even think that that's like the angle we were taking <laughs> until you started talking about and it. I was like, oh, like, oh yeah. yeah, I guess. And now I understand why you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, his his part of or you know, like part of this story is very minimal. Um, you know, even if what happened, you know, what's on that expense report actually did happen, which seems to be kind of, you know, being contradicted at this point. Um, even if it did happen that way, it's not a big deal. Um, he was in like his last week or so of eligibility. Um, he wasn't even there and anything under $200, uh, by NCAA rule can just be paid back. So, um, that part of it, you know, like right off the bat, you can just squash any idea of like, you know, them having to vacate wins or anything like that. That's just not the case. Um, overall, I mean, this is something that it doesn't surprise me that often. I mean, agents are always going to try to pay players to, to secure their services after they leave college to go to the NBA. Teams are always going to pay players to come to their university so that their coaches can get bigger contracts. Um you know, the, the shoe companies are always going to want to pay players to secure their services after they leave college. This is just the business. Um, it's the way that it goes. It doesn't surprise me. Um, we don't really know all the facts with the Sean Miller situation, but I was, you know, I, I came out of the movies the other night and I saw it and I just went, huh. You know, I wasn't like, whoa, like, oh my God, you know, huge story. I was like, yeah, that's just another follow up to this. I mean, um, and we don't know exactly what happened there at this point. It seems like there's been some blowback on that, but. Um, I mean, overall, uh, my biggest issue with the way that it was reported was lumping in the Malcolm Brogdons, the Wendell Carters of the world with the Dennis Smiths who took apparently, you know, almost a hundred thousand dollars, um, while he was in college or before he went to college or whatever allegedly. it was, uh, allegedly, right. Um, but like, you can't, you can't report on those two things as the same. Like, it's just not the same. Um, you know, like I said, this doesn't really come as a big surprise. You know, it's a shame that it kind of had to all come out this way and cast such a dark light on the sport right before the tournament. Um, and I think that some of the things that happen that are, you know, so scandalous probably need to be reviewed. And, and some of the stuff we just need to make changes to the rules and move more towards a system where agents are able to legally you know, talk to players and, and, and try to help them with their professional career. Because this idea of, you know, like they're amateurs until they leave, like that's just not realistic. I mean, Marvin Bagley is a, he's not a millionaire yet, but he's a millionaire in the waiting. Like he, he is one, um, you know, as, as soon as he walks off that court for the final time and just clears for the NBA draft, he's a millionaire pretty much. So, um, I, I think acting like that's not the case and they're going to go pro in something other than sports is just super naive. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll see where this whole thing, you know, goes from here. But um, I don't think UVA fans have anything to be worried about. And I 
from the the sense that I get from the you know reading the message boards, Twitter, all that stuff. You know, people were very surprised to see his name included in the list, and then after a few hours, it kind of just went away. So, I'm not I'm not really caught up in all of it. The thing to me is that like it's it should be two different things, right? There's the there's the reaction to the way it the like the the penalties and and whatnot that are involved here, right? I mean, realistically, like even though even though we all understand that the, that something has to give and that the rules need to change, these are the rules that are currently in play, and so like they're going to get they're going to be involved in some and, and there's going to invest be investigations and and who knows what the NCAA can even do i mean cuz realistically that's the loophole it, it, and and honestly i'm going to take this back to the carolina case if a school can create paper classes that that are absolutely geared toward athletes and then because other students just also take them if the NCAA doesn't have the purview to step in and say no no you can't do that then where does the NCAA get off telling players who aren't taking money to go to a school, right? And then aren't even taking money actually when they are in school, right? All, everything is all about the future. I mean, clearly from the, if the doc, if you believe the documents that were released by Yahoo Sports, the, the, the playbook is right there, right? It's the, it's, you're, you're essentially, you're giving money to a player's family in hopes that when they become a professional that they will choose your agency. And if not, it's a loan that they pay back, right? Now, technically, that, yeah, that's illegal, but so was taking paper classes, right? Like, you, if you're an athlete and you have to be eligible to play, you have to take real classes. You can't be taking classes um, like the ones that were designed at, at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. And so the, the bottom line for me is that, like, yeah, the system has to change. But currently, in what we have right now, you're exactly right. So this, some of this stuff is just not the same. Like, whatever happened with Dennis Smith is not the same as Malcolm Brogdon's mama allegedly meeting with this guy and having lunch or dinner or whatever for $64.16, which, as you point out, can easily be paid back, and that's not even a, like, like it's not even a thing that moves any paper. Um, and we still don't know the context. Like, it doesn't, we don't know if he expensed yeah, his I mean, part it's just of the meal, which report. is allowed, right. or it was all of it expense. you know, it doesn't, and besides, like I said, it's not, it's not a big deal. And another thing I forgot to mention is that, people read this stuff and I think sometimes people get confused that the Yahoo story is about the schools that the players went to and and that's the way that it was reported kind of during the games on Saturday was like here are this list of schools that are implicated but really what they meant was here are the list of schools that had a player that was implicated because again this all came from Andy Miller's sports agency where you know he's trying to get players to sign with him when they leave college they're not saying that like um, you know, Ke Kevin Knox from from Kentucky, for example, was being paid by Kentucky. They're saying that this guy was paying right, him, and nobody you know, who reads to, that thinks it the former. They all think they the think, latter. They think it means they think it means Kentucky. Right, exactly. They all think they were getting paid to go to said school. Uh, Dave, and that's I'm not saying that never is the case, mm -hmm. but like that's not what this is about. Right. So, Dave, what do you what are your give me some of your your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys hit most of the points. Um. A couple of takeaways. I mean, like when all this stuff came out you know, initially, and then you know we saw a lot of Virginia fans like, "Oh, thank God, Tony Bennett's our coach. We have nothing to worry about." And then you see that little word about Brogdon. That kind of hits you. Maybe like stuff like this, you should never like. Tony's a very ethical guy. You, you should sleep pretty calmly at night, but don't ever say never. Like there, there's such far-reaching tentacles from your players to their family, and all that stuff can come back and bite you. Yeah, don't you ever start snoring on it. Don't sleep on it. Um, yeah. So and also, like, like coaches granted, don't have a hundred percent control over what people like their players do. Like I mean, no, no. Malcolm no Brogdon could have taken a million dollars, and then he would have really been in some. He would have been in eligibility trouble. But that doesn't mean yeah. the coaches like told him to do that. No, especially when you start talking about, you know, cousins and brothers and sisters. All that stuff ties back. Um, but so, so, so don't speak in absolutes when it comes to we're, we're a clean program because everyone's definition of clean is dirty. There's a difference between hiring strippers that get recruits and, you know, Malcolm Brogdon's mom allegedly having a meal with a client, you know, with a, an agent. So, which, speak of the, you know, my guess is he, you know, Brogdon didn't sign with him because... I mean, Malcolm Brogdon's mom is, is more than Malcolm Brogdon's mom. Like, she has a first name, man. Put it in your freaking expense report. Anyway, don't get me started on that. Um, but the other thing is, you know, and, and many people have mentioned it. I'm not going to go into the ridiculousness of reporters today. You know, our text thread is a lot of hilarity about clickbait day after day after day. Um, 
I, I can say we, the three of us are not, not fans of the subject or the topic. Um, but the fact that the FBI had to do this, like this didn't start two years ago. I mean, this crap's been going on for decades. And the only reason it's even brought to our attention now is because the Federal Bureau of Investigations is doing it, you know, is doing this report. The NCAA is not doing this. I mean, look, all the NCAA has to do is when you're in the Final Four city or you're in a NCAA city, just send a dude to a, the hotel where the team is staying. You'll probably see a parent there meeting with an agent. I mean, it's not hard to see. They just didn't want to see it, and now they're kind of embarrassed, and maybe they'll act on it and make some changes. Um, like, I mean, the one thing I don't want to come of this is throw out what should be which should be a, a structure to create a fair environment so, so a team with more money can't manipulate and have a, ro- a stacked roster like UCLA that did back in the day with no scholarship limits and all that stuff. Like that's not what should become of this because you didn't, because the NCAA was lazy policing the rules they did have in place. Like modernize the rules, but you still have to have some, some structure. I've seen too many people saying, well, that's time to end amateurism. Let's pay them all. Let's do it all. Like, you know, there's a medium and let's not be ridiculous. So, the faith of me, faith, the faith I have in the NCAA not being ridiculous because of this is very little, very little. My other thing about the, the entire thing is that when we talk about paying players, and I know that for Virginia fans who, who love their university and, and who think of a student athlete in a certain way and they think about all the programs at UVA and, and they think of student athletes at UVA, I understand that paying players is like a, is like a, a bridge too far for a lot of fans, right? Um, Marvin, to, to, to Justin's example earlier, Marvin Bagley is a millionaire in potential that he can't use. And if you think about it, it's one of the very few places in the world, right? If you're a pro football prospect or a college basketball prospect where you cannot use your talent to a certain point, right? If you're a 13-year-old whiz kid, nobody says that you can't go work at Apple or Google, right? He, he, he's a millionaire, but only in a potential that he's not allowed to earn on until his birthday is, is such and such. Right. It's a system that we all have to just be honest. It invites corruption. Right. It invites it invites uh, people who might not necessarily have Marvin's uh, interest at heart. I would I would venture to guess that most of the people that when this thing is said and done, they get caught up in this FBI thing are going to be people who had literally no influence on on that recruits decision to either go to said school or even to sign with said agency. These were just hangers on who these folks thought would be involved in the decision-making process. And by and large, though there are like, especially for these kids who are really, really good. The way that the NBA takes the power away from the player for a while allows for others to fill the void and they start to, 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 to grab for that power. And I'm not saying I have the perfect solution on how they should do it. I've always kind of thought that the baseball rule would work, but I also understand why the baseball rule is, is, a pro, is problematic. I understand why a lot of people are saying you know, pretty, pretty consistently for years that in order to pay the players, it would essentially it would, it, there would be so many uh, unintended consequences that came with that, namely the fact that there are lots of players who deserve you know, whatever because of their potential versus those who clearly aren't going to go to the next level. How do you, how do you bridge that gap? I'm not saying I have any of those answers. I'm not. I just know that what we're doing isn't working, and it's and it is certainly that like this stuff is just the tip of the iceberg. As somebody who has worked in recruiting for a long time, I'm telling you, like there is a lot out there, and I might not be able to you know produce an MP3 of a wiretap, but I can tell you that there's a a lot of uh, a lot more activity out there that if if people really wanted to speak on it, they would. It stays in the dark for a reason, and the system right now doesn't really give them um, – it doesn't give a lot of these folks uh, the power to make sure that that stuff just doesn't happen. And so I yeah, – Go ahead, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say sometimes it's like – it sounds backwards, but like Dave was saying how a lot of these rules are in place to kind of like make the, the playing field more fair, and that's true. And I think sometimes there's just so much stuff that's un, like disallowed that it makes this black market that doesn't necessarily need to be there. Um, now, I mean, like, I'm not going to get into the whole, like, paying players thing. That's, like, a, another debate for another day. But getting, like, allowing them to sign with an agent, that's something that other sports are allowed to, like, college hockey players can do that. I mean, so there's it's not like, oh, well, it's just too a bridge too far. 
So like by creating this culture where it's not allowed, this that creates all this seediness that has to go on under the table. Like it makes it so much, you know, like it creates this, you know, black market, so to speak, of like everything you do has to be secret and shady, which invites people that are secret and shady to the forefront of this conversation. Um, instead of having a guy like, I'll just, you know, he's a famous agent. So like, like Drew Rosenhaus could, could sign Lamar Jackson, you know, when he's a sophomore and obviously the whole like payment of him would be, have to be, you know, they'd have to work all that out. But I mean, you wouldn't have all these other people trying to like, you know, everything would be kind of above boards or it should be. And I know that's a, that's an ideal world, but um, I think that kind of is, is part of the problem in, in this specific case, you know, so it's just, it's, it, you know, it's always going to be, there's always going to be people trying to pay players. I don't think you can totally get rid of that element of it. But I mean, I think some of this is rooted in like, just like, like Dave said, kind of the NCAA just burying their heads in the sand and being like, nope, nobody ever gets paid. Like, that's not how it works. It's just, that's just not true. And football is even worse because like you said, you know, they can't really take advantage of their talents. Basketball, you know, like the argument I always hear is like, they can go overseas, but it's like, that's a big ask. Like, you know, Hey, if you want to, if you want to do this, you have to leave the country you live in to go do it. Um, when there's a league here, you know, right. or whatever. Um, and also football players can't because there is nowhere for them to go. Like they literally would have to just sit there or go get a re- like a day job, you know, until they go, go, go work at a McDonald's. <laughs> Cause there's no, there's no minor league football league right. until Vince McMahon gets this XFL thing off the ground. Yeah. Um, again, I, we're not going to solve college basketball's problems or college sports's problems. And, and I understand that I, I, I look, I get it for a lot of fans. The idea of the true student athlete is a, is a real thing. And I'm not saying that, that, that there aren't true student athletes out there, but we have to be honest. We send kids to college all the time to become lawyers or to become engineers or to become social studies teachers. Um, we also send kids to college to become basketball players, become football players. And we don't need to, I, I, I'm still, I've always wondered this. Like, why are we afraid to say that out loud? Like we know that at some point the ball will stop to bounce. And so we hope that those guys, you know, they have a, some semblance of a, of something to fall back on. Absolutely. And if they want to use their college experience to ready themselves for life after their sport, you know, it's, it, that's great. If they want to, you know, get the best train in the world. Like think about it like this. If, if student athletes were more student than athlete, they would all go to really good schools, but they don't, they go to play for the best coaches to be challenged by the best conferences, to be put in high pressure situations against, you know, great competition. Why do they do that? Cause they're trying to get prepared for the, for their next level. They're trying to get prepared for their next job. Right. Um, and so I, I, like I said, I have no, I don't know qualms about admitting to you that I don't know what the right answer is, but I know that in the current environment, we're going to keep having these problems. And yeah, there are going to be a lot of teams out there who do it the right way or who at least are trying to do it the right way. I'm sure even the best of the best, maybe they make a mistake or two, but they definitely, you know, they're not out there, you know, going to be caught on wiretaps paying hundred thousand dollars for players. But that doesn't mean that, you know, that, that everybody's going to do it that way. And if you think about it, the sooner, the sooner that there is a actual model in place that allows schools um, to share some sort of revenue with players, the more it equals the playing field for all of the schools. Because, because if there is some sort of standard set, and there will be some sort of standard set, um, schools won't allow it otherwise, right? Because they're not going to want to have some unfair advantage for somebody else. It'll be some cap based on that player, and he'll make the same regardless of whether or not he goes to school A, B, or C. It, it levels the playing field. So now all of a sudden – um, you're going to, you're going to get this regardless of where you go. So maybe the education aspect becomes even more important and that's, you know, maybe that's a somewhat of a pipe dream, but it, I, I think it's just as likely as we're going to keep on with the same old, same old, and we're just going to keep pretending every March that, that some of these kids are, uh, you know, are all, you know, they're all true student athletes and they're giving it the college try. Um, that's just not realistic, man. We gotta, we gotta be mindful of that. Anybody else got anything else for the good of the order? Do you guys have any? Um, we don't have a fifth side of the ball this week. Um, do you guys have any ACC tournament scenarios you want to ask me about so we can just get it all out of the way? Um, now? I, I don't really care about any of the scenarios other than we got to have something to talk um, about next week. I, that's true. We can talk a little bit about that once, but that I mean by that point we'll know all the scenarios, right? Because we'll know what the field is like. 
Um, I mean, realistically, Ferber, here's my one question for you. If you had to bet the farm on UVA playing the first round of the NCAA tournament somewhere, where where do you where do you where do you think that somewhere would be? And I ask as someone who has a sister who lives uh, in Raleigh who would really like it to be Charlotte for a variety of reasons. Yeah, well, it's either going to be Pittsburgh or Boise. We know that. <laughs> um, no, nah, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, no, nah, it, it it'll it'll almost surely be Charlotte. Um, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Charlotte. Um, UVA will basically get to pick where they want to go. Um, barring something really strange down the stretch here. Um, I mean, we didn't really talk about it on the show tonight, but, you know, unless something really weird happens, they'd have to lose at least once more, and then early in the ACC tournament, uh, they're going to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. If they win out the regular season, they could lose their first ACC tournament game, and they'd be a one yeah. seed. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, with that said, it's unlikely that Duke or Carolina will finish in front of them, and even if they do, both of them won't finish in front of them. So, um, I think we're looking at Charlotte for the first round. If they end up with the number one overall seed, they'll likely be headed to Atlanta for the Sweet 16 if they get that far uh, in the South region. So pretty favorable path if they can get it. Um, we'll just have to see how that plays out. I'm assuming UVA will be in Charlotte and Duke or Carolina will be the other team in some other bracket that plays right. in that site. So. Good deal. All right. In that case, let me, uh, as I've been doing the last couple weeks, uh, if you found the podcast because you are a subscriber at CavsCorner.com, I appreciate your support. Feel free to open up uh, the Apple Podcast app on your phone, or if you find if you have an Android phone, go to their uh, podcast app and give us a rating. It helps folks to, to find the show, and maybe they can find the site thereafter. If you're somebody who also um, came to uh, the, the show via the app, uh, feel free to give us a look at CavsCorner.com. The Cavaliers picked up two football commitments. We we, we didn't get to, to talk about them a little bit too much tonight, because obviously because of basketball, but um, we get we get game previews. We'll have power rankings out uh, later in the day on Thursday. Um, I, I caught up with Braden Baps, who is a um, tight end prospect. The first tight end that I can remember Bronco Mendenhall really going after. Six foot seven and a half, 250 pound, um, really talented kid from uh, St. John's College, actually a, a native of Wakefield, who ended up there because his team, his high school, they don't have they don't have football where he, where he's from. So he he came to DC. Um, pretty interesting story. Um, sounds like the Cavaliers are positioning themselves to to get um, a really interesting sort of physical um, kid at tight end. And if and if he'll play that for a year, and if it doesn't work out, maybe he switches back to the other side of the ball. Um, so yeah, give us a look, CavsCorner.com. Um, want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show as always really appreciate Dave and Justin for giving graciously of their time. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll be back with you next week prior to the, uh, ACC tournament in Brooklyn Ferber and I will be there. Lord willing in the Creek don't rise and the Amtrak gets there on time. Um, but again, thanks, uh, everybody for, uh, supporting the show for David and Justin. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.